Christmas time can bring out the child in all of us, if we let it. It all depends on who you include in your celebrations. Please tell me honestly, do you believe in Santa Claus or do you believe in the three wise men? And they tell me we believe in both. Hi, I'm Rick Steves. Come along as we tour the different Christmas traditions our friends observe across Europe in the hour ahead. They often include some childhood memories of magical characters that show up this time of year. He is the one who could eventually put you in the sack if you hadn't been a nice child that year. After midnight mass in small-town Portugal, old friends gather around bonfires to keep the warm holiday spirit going late into the night. Don't forget, everybody went to see the birth of Jesus. And in Bulgaria, they have their own symbolic customs for making Christmas dinner special. Beans obligatory must be on the table. Stay with us as friends from Spain and Portugal, England and Ireland, Italy, Bulgaria and Austria all share Christmas with us on Travel with Rick Steves. You might be surprised by the characters and the customs that people enjoy for Christmas in the old country. Chances are, it includes some relatives of St. Nick that you may have yet to meet. Hi, I'm Rick Steves. Each year at this time on Travel with Rick Steves, we make it our own tradition to replay Christmas time reflections from my favorite European tour guides. They'll share how, in each of their countries, they continue to observe their own special calendar of holiday events ranging from St. Nicholas Day right through the 12 days of Christmas. However, this year's collection is a little bittersweet for us. As you'll hear in a bit, we'll include a conversation about the Christmas traditions of Bulgaria from Lubya Boyanin. Lubya passed away in February of this year. Against all odds, she started her own tour company in 1991, when Bulgaria was just coming out of communism. And eight years later, she counted President Bill Clinton as one of the many people that she so enthusiastically introduced to the folk customs of her country, Bulgaria. Let's warm up the hour right now with Mediterranean Christmas traditions from Italy and Spain. Joining us right now from Madrid is Federico Garcia Barroso, and he'll tell us who brings the gifts to the good boys and girls in Spain. That is a very Spanish tradition. It's also celebrated in some places in Latin America, a very Latin tradition. The three wise men. The three wise men came from Orient to give some presents to Jesus Christ when he was born in Bethlehem. And nowadays, all the kids in Spain, they are really expecting, looking for what, to see those three wise men in Epiphany, the night of the 5th of January. Those three wise men come to Spain, oh. and next day, all the kids have those wonderful toys. So after the 12 days of Christmas, the wise men finally get to Bethlehem and mm -hmm. give the baby Jesus the gifts that they brought, that mm -hmm. we always sing about. And that's quite logical that in much of Europe, especially in Spain, Epiphany, January 6th, is celebrated. And how logical. It's the three wise men that give the children the gifts. The thing is, you know, Greg, when I talk to my uh, nephews about all this, you know, I just ask them, Please, tell me honestly, do you believe in Santa Claus or do you believe in the three wise men? And they tell me, we believe in both. Santa comes on Christmas. Of course. And wise men come on Epiphany. And Spanish kids get double. Double. They are absolutely happy. Everyone is welcome in Spain now, in Christmas. I, my, my theory is that this whole gift-giving is kind of a parental conspiracy to terrorize children into being good. You know, if you're, if you're naughty or nice, and if you're naughty, you're going to get stones in your stocking, and of if you're course. nice, you'll get all sorts of good presents. Yeah. Is there that kind of teaching and incentivizing from parents in Spain? Totally. It's the most <laughs> instructive way to say you have to behave yourself. <laughs> Did it work good for you when you were little? Absolutely. <laughs> What's your best memory when you were a little kid in Madrid? Well, I was quite innocent. I have to say that I was quite ingenious, I would say, also. Ingenious? In, yes. How's that? <laughs> in many ways, in many ways. You conned your parents into thinking you were an angel and you of got course. The, a lot of good stuff. <laughs> Do you have a Christmas tree in Spain? Yes, we have a Christmas tree. That is a much more northern European tradition, I would say, but it is quite popular nowadays in How Spain. How do you decorate it in Spain? Are there any uniquely ways? Christmas tree, then a TVT, of course, and lights and, and plants everywhere. What about parades? Are there parades of any kind? The parade, actually, um, we have to say nowadays that with the support of Madrid City Hall and many other city halls in Spain, those parades are absolutely spectacular. And that is one of the reasons why many people in Spain, even local people, uh, Spaniards, 
they take the AVE train and they go from several places when they come to Madrid to see that spectacular parade. The three wise men arrive to Madrid the 5th of January and thousands and thousands of people go there to the streets to enjoy that. And I would imagine all over Spain, people would tune into television to watch it also. Every single home. That's a big deal. January 5th. The, January 5th. What's, what's the name of that parade? Cavalgata means in English parade. Like Cavalgata. Cavalcade, I think. Cavalcade. Ah, Cavalcade. Cavalcade of the three kings. We, we call them in Spanish the three magic kings. Now, when you're in Spain, I, I would imagine you've got some jingle bells and Frosty the Snowman songs that are directly translated from the American jingles. Mm-hmm. Are there, are there songs that all the kids know in Spain that would be purely Spanish that are sung just at Christmas? Some of them. Some of them are actually, yeah, of course we have uh, Christmas carols in the Spanish language. Uh, they are quite popular in Spain and Latin America. You know, but I have to say that those ones in English are a little bit better. <laughs> I have to admit, I have to be critical. What's and your I, favorite one when you were little that was an American that was translated into Spanish? Uh, jingle bells, jingle bells. <laughs> Do you actually sing it in Spanish? <laughs> yes. Sing, sing that to me in Spanish, please, Federico. Navidad, Navidad, dulce Navidad. <laughs> oh, what fun. Oh, no, that is in English. Oh, what fun it is to write in it. Let me, let me remember. Or is there another one? Those lyrics. I'm just trying to remember those lyrics of, of any... Mm, La Virgen se está peinando entre cortina y cortina. Sus cabellos son de oro y el pez de plata fina. Pero mira cómo beben los peces en el río. Pero mira cómo beben por ver a Dios nacido. Beben y beben y vuelven a beber los peces en el río por ver a Dios nacer. Wow, that's beautiful, Federico. Tell me a few lines of what you were saying in English, Well, actually, please. telling you something about the beauty of the Immaculate Conception, all his uh, golden hair, and uh, those fishes that are in the river just looking at the Holy Virgin and, and drinking and jumping and singing because they are witness of the birth of Christ. Wow, even the fish in the streams. The Immaculate Conception is a huge thing in Spain, in it Spanish is actually, Catholicism. Yeah, absolutely. There are many churches, many cathedrals, and many towns uh, quite devoted to Mary. And the final thing, of course, is food. Is there any uh, enthusiasm for food in Spain on Christmas? Yes, of course. Any time, not exclusively Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> this is quite interesting to see how, uh, for example, in Madrid, in my city, it becomes a very nice tradition to eat what you call in English this white big fish called uh, uh, sea bream, you know, sea bream, yes. with some slice of lemon. Uh, and to roast that fish on the oven, that is quite, it's a kind of contradiction because obviously Madrid has no, no sea, you know. But this is coming from a king called Charles III in this late 1700s. He commissioned to take fish, fish and more fish from northern Spain to Madrid. And of course, in those days, the highways, the freeways were not so good. The fish came to Madrid a little bit smelly. And one of the reasons why they put those lemon slides was to avoid that smell, you know. And nowadays, it's a really nice tradition to eat golden bream or sea bream, even sea bass, also with those lemon slides. So for 300 years, madrilinos have been eating fish meals fit for a king, hmm. even if a little bit rotten, <laughs> to celebrate Christmas. <laughs> Federico, do me a big favor. Can you wish me and our listeners uh, a happy holiday in your language? Feliz Navidad, prospero año y felicidad. Gracias. De nada. And let's think about Christmas in Italy. Susanna Perrucchini comes to us from Rome. How do you celebrate Christmas? What's unique about your Christmas celebrations in Italy? Well, as many of you already know, Italy is divided into regions, and uh, in each region there is a slightly different way to celebrate Christmas as Easter, as many other you know moments uh, along the year. I was raised in Rome, but I was born in Padova, Padova very close to Venice, so in the Veneto region. And my mother used to tell me that when she was a kid and then a young teenager, um, they had kind of a prefix menu. And it was not only because of the tradition, but so because a, of a set menu. Then. A set menu. Yes. Yeah, so and it was basically because of the money, you know. Right. Uh, so we have the economical boom in Italy in the 60s. Uh, but before that, and even after people kind of stick to their traditions. And what was the set menu then? On the Veneto? 24th of uh, December. They used to have risotto con anguilla, which is eel risotto. Eel with your risotto. Yes. Uh, the second dish uh, could have been any kind of white fish, especially cod, because, you know, close to the Veneto region, we were so big fan of cod, 
bacalao, stucca fisso, and it was dried, so it had to stay in water uh, for three or four days, and the water had to change. So it was a, a recipe that took so this days. is the day before Christmas. Are we talking Christmas Eve? Christmas Eve, yes. The 24th. Okay. The 24th. Wow. And that was, that was it. Very basic, not too many things. It was fish, fish. That's it. And then the next day, because the baby Jesus was born, so big celebration, they used to have capone, which is uh, the castrated male chicken. That just because it was castrated previously, it started to gain weight. Ah. So he was bigger. And it had a real high voice. <laughs> I believe so. <laughs> yes, nice, okay. Exactly. And it was filled with meat, uh, sometimes with bread, you know, sometimes leftovers, sometimes raisins, depending on uh, uh, okay. so dried raisins. Okay, so this goes back raisins. to a, a, more, uh, a, poor, a more poverty of path. Of course. You, you had to use what you had. Okay. And this, uh, the capone was killed. Yeah. So it was cooked. And uh, what they had with the capone, sometimes was a broth. Right. With some kind of tortellini, ravioli. And to this day, you have this, this chicken dish. Yes. Even though there's a lot more money. Well, let's say that my mother... It's a tradition. My mother prepares capone still for today because we like it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's keeping alive an old tradition, remembering yes. that there was a difficult past and we're all together and we're healthy and we're looking yes. into a promising future. And actually, my mother, only the few years, uh, she started to buy panettone pandoro, which are the two typicals, uh, you know, cakes from uh, one Milan, panettone, pandoro from Verona. And in the past, uh, they used to bake or to prepare fugasa. Fogassa was like um, like a sponge cake, very simple, okay. not not even too sweet. In Italy, how do you wish people Merry Christmas? What word do you say? Buon Natale. Buon Natale. Yes, and you know why? Because in the States, I know that you have different congregations and churches and different faith. In Italy, I would say that we are born at least and raised 99% of us Catholic. Remember the Vatican. <laughs> that's, that's right. And whether you go to church or not, it's just it's yes. Christmas time. Buon, Buon Natale. Natale. What is your... Most beautiful, warm, and, and happy memory as a little child about Natale. Well, I was lucky, so I had many, but I can tell you one. I remember one day, I have a brother, he's uh, two years younger, and we have um, a little lady, actually not very uh, nice looking, called La Befana. And in the past, uh, Santa Claus didn't exist. So this is, La Befana is the witch that comes yes. on Epiphany. Yes, on, on the Epiphany, between the 5th and the 6th of January. Okay. And La Befana, even though... She looks like a witch, so not very nice looking, with a crooked nose and everything, uh, and dressed with uh, very dirty clothes. But she's a good one because she's bringing gifts to the kids. And I remember that my mother said to my brother one day, I, pr I was probably five. She said, OK, you have to put your socks, la calza, hanging somewhere. We don't have a chimney. So we hanged that in the kitchen. And the next day, for me, it was a miracle because I went to the kitchen to have breakfast and it was filled with cookies and chocolate and everything. So, And the, there were also gifts close by. So that was one of the best memories I have. You know, that's a pretty uniform, beautiful memory that children yeah. all, all around Western civilization <laughs> it's have. It's a miracle. The Befana came. <laughs> Brought me all these yes. cookies. Susanna Perracchini, thank you for sharing a little bit of Italian Christmas with well, us. Well, you're welcome. Could you wish all of our listeners uh, some sort of a holiday greeting from Italy, please? Of course. Buon Natale a tutti e felice anno nuovo. I think I know just what you said. <laughs> Thank you and the same to you. Buon Natale, molto bello Christmas Day. Stay with us to hear how London dresses up for the holidays, how St. Nicholas pulls into port in the Netherlands, and why it's just not Christmas without a dish of salted cod in Portugal. It's European Christmas traditions today on Travel with Rick Steves. Nativity scenes are the center of attention in Portugal. Meanwhile, being at the crossroads of powerful civilizations for centuries has brought some of the most unusual holiday traditions you'll find anywhere to post-communist Bulgaria. That's in just a few minutes on Travel with Rick Steves. Later, we'll hear how much things have changed from simpler holidays gone by in Northern Ireland and Holland and the importance of tradition in the Alps of Austria. It's Christmas time. Jolly old England, big city, London, 
What's it like? I'm with Tom Hooper and Jillian Chadwick, two Blue Badge Guides from London. Tom and Jillian, thanks for joining us this Christmas. How do you celebrate Christmas in London? What tips do you have for travelers that might be visiting London during Christmas? Definitely go and see all the lights, uh, yeah. Harrods and Fortnum and Mesa and all the shops. And Hamley's, the toy store. The, yeah. So Oxford Circus, that area? Yeah, and Regent Street. Yeah. Regent Street, Oxford Regent Street's Circus. the big thing for lights. Regent Street. And then the great stores. What stores are most famous for their window displays? Harrods, Fortnum and Mason. Selfridges. And Kids, where's, what's the Kids Wonderland? Kids is Hamley's. Yeah. Yeah, Kids is Hamley's. And how about classical music and Christmas sort of culture? There'll be carol concerts all over the place. Oh, churches. yes, and we have the, the Christmas tree yeah. in Trafalgar Square from Norway. Norway gives... What's the story Od- about that? Oslo gives. Uh, because the Norwegian royal family lived in exile in London during the Second World War. And so as a sign of their gratitude, they send us a giant mm. Christmas tree every year. Yeah. Every Christmas you get a tree from, from Norway. Yeah. From specifically Oslo. The people of Oslo. Yes. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. They have a sort of lighting thing like you do Christmas trees here. Mm. And then they have carols almost every single evening around the Christmas tree. And all the proceeds go to charity. Yes. On Trafalgar Square. Yes. Yeah. In front of the National Gallery. Right Just in front of the National Gallery with the view of Big Ben Glorious. down in the distance. Glorious. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed it doesn't snow a lot in London, but there's always snow on Trafalgar Square. Of course. What do they do? They make some snow there for the party? <laughs> I saw the kids there on the snow. It was wonderful. No, it's it's yeah. targeted snow. We have this special weather which you can right target. Right a little, a little <laughs> microclimate under clouds. Shoot right. the clouds, yeah. Mac. Yeah. And one and thing. ice rinks as well. Ice, ice rinks, rinks, I was yeah. going to say, down yeah. at Somerset, Somerset House. Somerset House, the Natural History Museum. Tower of London's got one now mm-hmm. in the moat as well. They have one there. In the, mo- in the moat. Ice rink crazy. Yeah. Around the tower? Yeah, a bit of it. A bit wow. Of it would be really good to treat <laughs> around the Tower of London. So there's a lot of fun in yeah. London during Christmas and, time. And um, if another night, really good place for Christmas to go is Hampton Court Palace, which is about 30 minutes train ride. And they have loads of Christmas events and mm-hmm. they have their own ice rink as well. And what are the traditional things to eat and drink at Christmas time for you? Oh, turkey, 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 and stuffing, and bread yes. sauce, cranberry sauce, and this thing and called Christmas, Christmas pudding. pudding. <laughs> now, what is Christmas pudding? Which is this unbelievably rich fruit and suet mix. It should be, yes. Which is boiled, really, isn't it? It's sort of if you put it in a pan with boiling in its own container in boiling water, and slowly over sixteen years now, about whatever time it heats up. So it's been, it? it's been simmering for it's a long time. It's pretty heavy. Yes, it's yeah. very heavy. Is a figgy pudding, is that something at yeah. Christmas? Yeah, nearly the same. The same nearly the same. Yeah. same. Yeah. And mince pies, but they're illegal, aren't they? Yes. Why are they illegal? Thanks to Oliver, Oliver Cromwell. Cromwell banned them in the 17th century. Well, he banned Christmas. Yeah. Oliver Cromwell, what an evil man. <laughs> You're free to celebrate Christmas now. Yes. yes. We can, yes. yes. All right. Well, Merry Christmas to you in London. Thanks. Thank you. Christina Duarte joins us from Portugal to talk about Christmas. And Christina, when you think of celebrating Christmas in your home country, Portugal, what comes to mind? Family. It's a family gathering, actually. Of course, everything starts a little bit uh, before. The stress of Christmas season starts around the beginning of uh, December. And so the stress meaning the commercial the, yeah, and gifts. And not only, because... Uh, we have to prepare things specially for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Oh. So sometimes because we end up, well, hosting people in our places like the family, like 10, 12, 15 people. So we need to think about the best codfish to buy and when to buy it because otherwise you cannot well, risk to finish by the end. You have a big feast on Christmas Eve? We do have because it is the gathering of the family. So the 24th, people start to come over the house around 7 o'clock, more or less. Pretty much the sweets are already done throughout the day because they take time to prepare. So first of all, the sweets are done. What oh, do yes, mean? yes. What do you mean by the sweets? The sweets are things fried, uh, sweets made out of especially egg yolks based on eggs and uh, cinnamon, sugar, almond syrup. So this. Okay, so all the generations together, and you're ruining your appetite by eating these sweets already. Uh, they are ready, but they is to eat afterwards. Okay. They are just ready a little bit. Oh, earlier. so they're just there as a temptation. Uh, yes, exactly. But first you, and the meal is called consuada. Consuada. 
Consuada is uh, especially this dinner when we sit all the table together and we have the main dish, which is codfish. Codfish. Salted codfish. A Christmas Eve salted codfish. Exactly. And, now, and almost every traditional Portuguese family will have this on exactly. Christmas Eve. But, well, we, we do a lot of effort in having the best codfish. I mean... Uh, um, Because there's like 365 different ways to prepare yes, cod in but Portugal, right? As a matter of fact, for the consuada, we do the simplest way, which is just boiling it with some potatoes and some vegetables. So this is not the great point of the codfish, but the codfish quality itself, high, white. So Now, what care uh, goes into setting the table for the consuada? We have to be proud and be setting in a beautiful table. So we put our best linen on with the, our best cutlery, the purslain, the, and so it must be beautiful. It has to have that bright moment, that magic moment that is once a year, the 24th. Uh, everything must be like magic. This is what is the remaining for the future generation. Right now, as a mother, I'm doing setting that for my children. And you're establishing that tradition that they will do for their children. Yes, exactly. Now, for the children, who brings the gifts? Uh, baby Jesus. Baby Jesus? <laughs> yes. And how do you say baby Jesus in Portuguese? <laughs> Menino Jesus. Menina Menino Jesus. Jesus. But, of course, we realize that more and more there are more commercial things and from outside other countries. So a Santa Claus, Pai Natal, it becomes more the person that they know than the baby Jesus. When you were a small child, what is your memory of the uh, Menino Jesus. Uh, it, it was the Menino Jesus. It was baby Jesus because what is Christmas all about is a celebration of the birth of Christ. So you do uh, a tree, uh, you set a Christmas tree, uh, but the most important thing of it is the crib. Actually, you have... So this a, is the crèche, the presepio. The crèche, the presepio. Like the in presepio. Italy, everybody in Italy has the presepio, and you have also this us, the and, manger scene. And that is a great deal of our decoration. I mean, we are 80% Catholic people, so and it is fun also. I mean, with families, with children, it is fun to set. I always set the crib with my children. I'm not doing it alone, and I'm not buying a set. And right now, I, I just doing myself right now, as on the old times my parents are doing with me, which was every year I try to buy some new and adding some new character to it. So Some new characters <laughs> to your major yes, scene. Yes, exactly, because we start with uh, Joseph and Mary and the baby. But afterwards, you can always buy like a, a chapper, a chicken sellers, because don't forget, everybody went to see the birth of Jesus. That's right. So, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I must say that there are some churches then that they have wonderful, wonderful presepios. So if you happen to be in Lisbon during Christmas, go visit the churches and see the manger scenes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm speaking with Cristina Duarte from Lisbon. We're celebrating Christmas. And Cristina, if you think back to your childhood and you want to capture one memory to share with our listeners, what's your favorite childhood memory of a traditional Christmas in Portugal? Actually, it is not uh, giving uh, the gifts because uh, I was born in 66. So, and in 66, we were still enduring a, a very poor moment. So the gifts were always like uh, clothing and things that we were needing. There were not such a things like toys. <laughs> so actually, what I remember better, it is that after giving the gifts, my my parents, they are native from a place out of the city of Lisbon. And in most of these places, they do a huge firework, like a, a, a burning. A bonfire. Uh, yes. A big fire. A big fire. Okay. And that big fire is light up like in the beginning of the 24th because <laughs> it is so big that must be lighted and creating some embers to the night from the 24th to the 25th. Would you go to a late mass? And yes, And then afterwards, exactly. all of the friends and family would gather exactly. around the Exactly, we gather there, over there. Social yes. time. Social time. In the middle of the night. In the middle of night. Two o'clock in the morning. Yes. Celebrating Christmas. <laughs> This is the old memories, of course. They still do, though. They still do. And for the younger generations right now, most of the times they go after dinner or after after giving the gifts, and they still go out in some of the places together and to show themselves well what they got. <laughs> Christina, can you give me a small gift right now for my Christmas? Can you wish me in Portuguese, in your language, how you would wish somebody a Merry Christmas? Bom Natal. Bom Natal e boas festas. Ainda melhor. Feliz Natal. And what all did you say? I said, first of all, I said, a good Christmas and a good holidays. And then I said, no, 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 it's better. Feliz Natal. And what does that uh, mean? Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. And 
Feliz Natal to you too. Obrigado. You're welcome. Antes de Freddy Kahlo e Malmilho e Malmilho Fena de Jesus memória Perkins vulgirá la glória Fum, fum, fum Fum, fum, fum Fum, fum, fum Fum, fum, fum Lubya Boyanin was much loved by her friends and tour members, famous and otherwise, for helping them to really appreciate and experience the uniqueness of Bulgarian culture. If you hadn't heard from earlier in the hour, Lubya passed away last February at age 59. We're pleased to honor her memory today with a Bulgarian Christmas feature we recorded with her on her first visit to America. It was about seven years ago in our studio. Imagine Christmas in Bulgaria. Actually, how are you going to do that? Well, you need to talk to a Bulgarian. And Luba Boyanin joins us from Sofia in Bulgaria to talk about Christmas in her country. Merry Christmas, Luba. Thank you. Merry Christmas. How do you say Merry Christmas in Bulgarian? And what does that mean? Um, happy, happy birth of Christ. You had a 50-year period of communist rule where you couldn't have religion in Bulgaria. Is that right? Yes. Were yes. they able to stamp out the religious aspect of uh, a Christmas holiday? Or, or how did that affect your society? We must work on the day of Christmas. We had not a holiday for the day of Christmas, but I remember from my childhood that my mother, um, some days before Christmas, prepared all the traditional food, as this is a very special Eve. Uh, the, the Christmas Eve is very special for Bulgaria, so we have to put on the table uh, seven vegetarian dishes, at least seven, seven is the minimum, nine or twelve. And as more you have, as better and more rich and prosperous will be the, the table. So this is a time that my mother, three days before uh, Christmas, every evening she prepares some of the dishes. As when she, on the day of Christmas Eve, she come back from work, uh, she needs only to put everything on the table. And then well, the whole family was sitting and we did the rituals even during the communist times. But now it's a very great event for us. So you said vegetarian dishes? Yes. Vegetarian? The dishes must be vegetarian. Why? Because, um, you know, the Orthodox Church has a 40 days before Christmas uh, fast. Oh, this and is the a fast finish, thing. this is the, the Christmas Eve, in fact, is the last day of uh, fast. The next day, people normally eat uh, pork or stuffed turkey. This is the 25th of December. We're celebrating Christmas, the 25th of December, like in a Catholic church. And you break a 40-day no-meat fast. No-meat fast. And for us, the most important evening, this is the Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve in the villages, up to nowadays, people are doing on the floor. They are sitting on the floor. They put us on the straw pillows. Everybody was sitting to share That's a special dishes. On the table must be... Uh, of course, the ritual bread. The bread has a decoration, particular decoration with uh, um, symbols of fertility and pro prosperous. And this bread has a coin inside. So together with the bread, we put on the table a special garlic sauce. It's a garlic walnut sauce, a very, very strong one, stuffed pepper. Uh, on the table must be, must be put a food symbolizing prosperity so it could be um, boiled wheat because the wheat you know the wheat is a little small and when it after boiling it's it's getting bigger the same rice beans everything that that expands. Uh, that expands this is very important because this is like a fortune telling for a good luck symbolizing that symbolizing, your future will expand yes life will be good yes and of those obligatory dishes we have as i say stuffed peppers with rice, stuffed cabbage leaves with rice. Um, in some regions, stuffed peppers with beans. Beans, obligatory, must be on the table. Tell me your best memory when you were a little girl. Uh, for Christmas, always we love to be all, all the family together with my grandparents and grandmother. So what I remember most of everything is, first, that the pita bread to be spread between uh -huh. all the members, and we look inside for the coins. And the, the winner coin? of the coin... We will be more successful. So as a children, I have a sister, and we, we really we hope that the coin to be with us. And we fight with my sister if the coin was in one of the pieces. As you know what, when we split the bread, the splitting of the bread starts from the house. You leave one piece for the house, one piece for the Virgin Mary, one piece for the first elderly person, up to the very little ones. And my parents always... Uh, um, took a very little pieces for the house, for themselves, and they leave the big pieces for me and the sister. And at the moment you have the piece of bread, yeah. you are 
looking where the coins is. So we are okay. like chickens that immediately, oh, yeah. you know, eat the pieces of bread to find the coin. And if you have a coin, you'll be the lucky one. Very important for the first piece of bread, you should keep it, not eating. Uh, the first night you put in a napkin uh -huh. and you put under your pillow and you have to dream and this dream will be realized. Okay. Now, few yeah. times. This is my my happy memories to have now, a coin. There was a lot of happiness in Bulgaria even during difficult communist times when there was not much money and nobody could celebrate uh, religious holidays. Um, yes, for the children, yes. Who brings the gifts? <laughs> Santa Claus. And when does that happen? Um, it's very big mix-up now because uh, Santa Claus brings the presents at the Christmas Eve. When I was young, uh, we had this Dadu Vasili who brings uh, presents on the day of the 1st of January. So who is this? What is that name? Dadu Mraz. He was a Russian version of Santa Claus. Okay, and he would bring it on New Year's Day. Yes, but before that, it was, at the time of my parents, it was Vasili who brought the presents the 1st of January. Wait a minute. So the Russian, the, the Soviet Union gave you this uh, part of your celebration to have a Russian hero bring on New Year's Day the presents? A Russian, yeah, Dumras, we call uh, but, but this was the, put on you by, by the USSR? Yes, yes. I've never imagined and that. And when I was... They chained, they got rid of Santa Claus. Yes. And they got rid of Christmas and they brought the presents on New Year's Day instead. Yes. To get rid of religion and to bring in Russia to your holiday celebrations. Yes, we have the celebration was the New Year celebration that was the main really celebration. That is really imperialism. <laughs> <laughs> and today the, the Russian today saint is, is no longer up, coming. You know, so mixed up. Uh, it's a mixed up because uh, we have difficulties, to be honest, as we are, said, we are changing um, presents for Christmas and then for the New Year again we're buying a small little presents for the And the little kids, surprise. they don't care who's giving it. The little kids <laughs> yes. just want the present. Lubya Boyan, and thank you for joining us today during this uh, holiday season. And can you, we've got a lot of people listening to us on the radio all over the United States. Can you please, in your language, uh, bring them a greeting from Bulgaria for this time of year? Čistite koleda. Želaja vi zdrave i mnogo, mnogo kasmet. And exactly what did you say in English? I say, Happy Christmas. I wish you a lot of good health and a lot of, lot of success. And in Bulgarian, I can say thank you by saying Blagodaria. Blagodaria. Blagodaria, Lubya. Through the years, we all will be together. If the fates allow. Until then, we'll have to muddle through somehow. So have yourself a merry little Christmas There's more Christmas memories just ahead from small-town Holland, from Derry in North Ireland, and from Reuter in the Austrian Alps. Merry Christmas from Travel with Rick Steves. We're sharing Christmas time memories from our friends in Europe today on Travel with Rick Steves. Our favorite Irish storyteller tells us how Christmas used to be a lot more plain before things started to improve in Northern Ireland. And we'll call a friend at a resort hotel in the Alps of Austria, where traditions run as deep as the snow that blankets their mountains. Right now, Elizabeth Van Hest joins us for a look at what her Christmas was like growing up in the Netherlands. I'd love to hear what Christmas is like in your memory. Let's pretend you're a five-year-old girl in a small town in the Netherlands. And it's right. Christmas Eve. What, do you, what did you just do? What's happening tonight? And what happens tomorrow? Oh, well, you see, for us, Christmas was really a family feast. Because probably, you know, in the Netherlands originally, we never had gifts at uh, Christmas. It was the real religious holiday and a family holiday. And, uh, well, in my case, I remember... Uh, my mother started to prepare the house to decorate it, and she had little planks, and we put moss on it, 
with a wire, and then we put all kind of green leaves like holly and other uh, little objects to decorate the house. And we fixed it on the wall and we put it on the table. And then, of course, we made the wreath for the front door. And then you were hoping it would be snowing on the right day. Because I remember the conifer, the big tree in our garden, when there was snow on it, and my father would put lights. <gasps> that was magic. And then, just before Christmas, uh, my mother came up with the real Christmas tree. And you know, when I was really very young, we had real candles uh, with the clippings. Real candles. Real no. candles under the tree inside the house. Yes. And there was a white sheet on the floor to protect the floor. And then there was a basket with water in case the uh, a tree would be set on fire. So it was only allowed to light the candles when Daddy and Mummy were there. And we hardly moved, of course, because there could be a fire. But it was magic to see all these flames burning. And then we got a, a beautiful dog, and it was too dangerous. So we had to put electric lights. But it was still very nice. Now, for a little child, is there a Santa Claus figure that brings the gifts? Well, or? that's it. Because Christmas is without presents, because our Santa Claus is called Sinterklaas. And he has his birthday on the 6th of December. So that is the real exciting feast for the gifts. Ah. And I, I would be willing to set up an association to save that celebration because I think it's the most beautiful feast in the world. Why? Well, first of all, as a child, you believe in Sinterklaas. He is bishop coming from Spain on a big ship with his assistants who are black Peters. They are funnily dressed and they are doing funny things, acrobats. They are a little bit naughty and you're scared of him because he is the one who could eventually put you in the sack if you hadn't been a nice child that year. Wow. Because Sinterklaas is keeping a book and he's writing in the book if you were good or bad. So... It is very well organized in the Netherlands because about three weeks before the 6th of December, which is his birthday, he officially arrived on the big ship in Amsterdam. And this is transmitted on television. So you are looking at it because you know once he's in the country, your parents will allow you to put your little shoe at the chimney. Of course, many people had central heating, a little problem, but you find a solution. <laughs> you put your shoe in front of the door or whatever. Anyway, some problems for a child to believe in St. Nicholas, because one hour later, after you have seen him arriving on television in Amsterdam, he's arriving in your village as well. And so you say to your mother, how is that possible? So then she usually explains you, well, there is the real one and he has assistance because, you know, there are so many children like you. The real one cannot cope with all that. So to review, in the Netherlands, Christmas Eve, 24th, 25th, 26th, that's the family time and the religious time. Yes. And St. Nicholas Day... December 6th is yes. the big gift-giving yes. festival that the children are very excited about. And the Dutch St. Nicholas is Sinterklaas. Yeah, we call him Sinterklaas. Sinterklaas. And that comes from St. Nicholas. Oh, and he sails on a boat from Spain with his yes. uh, acrobatic, uh, colorful uh, Black Peter yes. partners. Yes, And it's a naughty or nice thing. Yes. So if the kids are naughty, what happens? Oh, they put you in the sack and they bring you to Spain. They put you in a sack and take you to Spain. <laughs> and you're so scared. <laughs> so even if you know that you weren't too bad, when your mother or your father brings you to St. Nicholas, because, of course, like Santa Claus, you find them in uh, big department stores right. and you can make an appointment. And I remember, because I have still a picture of myself and my brother, I was so brave that I dared to sit on St. Nicholas' knees. Mm. But most of the children start to cry. They get very upset. But you see this magic souvenir uh, of something you believe in. Uh, it's so beautiful. Souvenir uh, in the sense of a good memory. Yes. A warm memory. Yes. I'm talking with Elizabeth van Helst from the Netherlands. And Elizabeth, is there a song that the children uh, sing most happily for this, either Sinterklaas? Yes. Or what's the happiest children's song that you remember? 
There are a few very long ones, very beautiful ones. Sing but me just see, a quick verse. Of a one quick that you one know. is Sinterklaas Kapuntje, Gooi wat in mijn schoentje, Gooi wat in mijn laarsje, Dank u Sinterklaasje. And you sing that in the evening when your parents allow you to put your shoe and what for did just that a mean? little what, present. What, what is translation? Sinterklaas Kapuntje, Gooi wat in mijn schoentje, Please Sinterklaas, draw something in my shoe. Sinterklaas kapuntje, gooi wat in mijn schoentje, gooi wat in mijn laarsje, dank u Sinterklaasje. Please throw something in my little boot. Thank you, Sint Nicolaas. Well, thank you, Elizabeth, for taking us to the Netherlands in this holiday season. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas. Thank you very much, Merry Christmas. In Dutch, how do you say Merry Christmas? Vrolijk kerstfeest en een gelukkig nieuwjaar. Dank u wel. Alstublieft. Let's talk about Christmas in Ireland. I'm joined by Stephen McPhillamy, who lives up in the north of Ireland in Derry. Stephen, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Rick. Merry Christmas. To you too, sir. Happy Christmas. And, and Irish, as we say, Nolog Hanna. Nolog Hanna. What Nol- does that mean? Nolog is Christmas, N-O-L-L-A-I-G. And Hanna, S-H-O-N-A, is Happy Christmas, Nolog Hanna. All right. Now, a lot of young girls in Ireland would be called Nolog because they're born at Christmas time. A Christmas girl. You live in Ulster in the north. Is there any a difference in the way people in the north of Ireland celebrate Christmas from people in the Republic of Ireland in the south? There would be a few big differences. Uh, one would be the religious profile in the north is completely different to the south, so that therefore, uh, you know, in the north we're not all Catholic. The majority of the people would be Protestant and you'd have uh, various types of Presbyterian, you'd have different types of Baptist, there'd be Anglicans, all sorts of different. And, and therefore, uh, those religious views would reflect the way they celebrate Christmas. Some can be very into big parties, and some can be very, very austere and somber. And not so, who are the big partiers at Christmas time, and who are the austere ones? Well, in the north, you see, we have a lot of teetotalers. There's a lot right. of people who abstain from alcohol, so they wouldn't be going to the pub scene. They wouldn't have, like, for a lot of the Protestant denominations in the north, particularly a, a group called the Free Presbyterians. Like, they they wouldn't be celebrating Christmas the way my family would be. You no, know, going to the pub and so you're a Catholic it. family. You got no problem with going to mass and then going over to the pub and singing and having a pint. Uh, the only problem I have with that on Christmas Day is that the pubs are closed, so we can't get in. <laughs> it's very strict. It's real moral police stuff. If you're caught in a pub on Christmas Day, it's very serious repercussions. In Northern Ireland? In, or in, in the Republic of Ireland and in Northern Ireland, you right? can't get into the bars until until midnight that night. So Midnight on uh, the 25th? Yeah. So then the bars can open because it's the 26th. You know? Is there somewhat of a festival at midnight on the 25th? Well, well what happens actually is that most places just stay closed because then some of them have to close at 12.30, you see. Oh, because like, that's the closing hour anyways. Well, that's one of the usual times I or some have to close it. So some, if you're desperate for a beer in a pub, you've got a little half-hour window if you find anybody that yeah, can open on just, the 26th. Yeah, so sometimes it can be a bit of a damp squib on, on the Christmas night. If you think about quintessential Irish celebration, what's the basic calendar? Most people in Ireland still like to attend midnight service or midnight mass. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a real beautiful ceremony with lots of choir, lots of singing. In the cathedral where I go to, there's a lot of singing in Irish as well. A lot of the young kids are brought along from the, the school choir and they'll sing beautiful little, very simple little hymns to Jesus to celebrate his birth in the Gaelic language. And I could give you an example of one here. Uh, Isa is the Irish word for Jesus, I-O-S-A. Mm-hmm. And when we welcome someone to our homes at Christmas time, we said, Ced Mila Falcher. That means 100,000 welcomes. And this is a very simple little song. It's called Ced Mila Falcher Road a Isa, just 100,000 welcomes to Jesus. Uh, it goes like this. Ked Mila Falcher Road a Isa, a Isa. Ked Mila Falcher Road a Isa. Ked mila falcha rot a hanli hor. Ked mila mila falcha rot isa isa. So that would be the sort of a little town of Bethlehem for Irish children. Aye, we we don't really have the the regular hymns translated. You see that we right. don't really. So, so in Gaelic, we, you wouldn't just do a direct translation from the ones that, no, that we we normally not would usually not. And in fact, so, uh, invariably not. So we'd have other little ditties what, that we sing along. To, uh, so that that would be. Uh, sort of a classic Christian sacred carol. Do you have the fun, light-hearted Santa Claus songs too in Gaelic? Uh, no. Any Christmas songs that we are singing in Gaelic are originals. From a family celebration point of view, When's the big dinner? When do the gifts come? This sort of thing. 
Yeah, we'll uh, generally open our gifts on Christmas morning. Nothing's really allowed to be touched on Christmas Eve. Uh, we'll open them on Christmas morning and then we'll have a huge big dinner then in the uh, afternoon. If we're Protestants, we'll listen to the Queen's speech and if we're Catholics, we'll listen to the Pope's speech. Traditionally, the Queen comes on the TV and... The Queen, the Queen gives an address on Christmas Day and that's a big part of British heritage. And in Northern Ireland, the Protestant community generally feel British and are ethnic British, so they'll listen very proudly to the Queen's speech as she comes on and gives an address to her subjects. And then the Catholics, many of them will, if they're interested, tune in to listen to what the Pope's saying over in St. Peter's. And uh, when the Pope gives his address on Christmas Day, he does include a little sentence in the Irish language. So I used to tune in just to hear that one sentence, then I'd tune out again. <laughs> just to hear the Pope speak Gaelic. Aye, just to hear him hear one line. Wow. And our, our Christmas in Ireland is a very family-oriented thing. And we have so many people abroad that they all want to get back for Christmas and Dublin Airport just collapses at Christmas time under the pressure of it. There's thousands upon thousands coming back. It's the only time we get to see our school friends is Christmas because my school friends live in New York or Boston or Sydney or Melbourne or Glasgow or London and the only time I can ever see them is around the Christmas festival. At Christmas in Ulster, in my part of Ireland, had an extra resonance and that was the violence stopped on Christmas Eve. And it continued, there was a truce that lasted through Christmas Day and, and into Boxing Day or what we call St. Stephen's Day. I particularly liked St. Stephen's Day, of course, because it was my namesake. But th- those three days, during that there was a three-day ceasefire where it meant that nobody would, would get killed. And of course, nobody should get killed at any time of the year. But that meant that at least we knew we could go to our churches Wow, so this safety. was an unwritten law that really held. For three days, probably just in the same way that the adversaries in the trenches of World War I did. On a smaller scale, we did the same in Ulster. And then, uh, sadly, uh, once Christmas was over, the killing would start again. But, but thankfully, that's in the past now, and we've come forward and progressed. And now we have Christmas all year round. Love and joy come to you, and to you I'll sail too. God bless you and send you a happy new year. God send you a happy We've got just enough time left to place a phone call to Gabriella Koch at her family-owned Hotel Maximilian in Reuter, Austria. Let's hear how their Christmas traditions make it a truly special season high in the Alps. Hey, Gabby, Merry Christmas. Thank you, Rick. Hello. Hello. We have a lot of uh, romantic images of the Tyrol, or the I guess you say Tyrol in German. Tyrol. Can you just describe to people what a small-town Christmas would be like in your part of Europe? Christmas is a very traditional fest here. As you know, we are uh, Roman Catholic, so it starts already with the Advent tide, so we get prepared for the birth of Jesus. A lot of handcrafts are done then, Christmas decoration. We do a lot of music with traditional instruments. How are the houses decorated in your town? Uh, Mainly with nature things like trees, nuts, apples, so not very uh, artificial things. Now, in the United States, we decorate our tree several weeks, uh, usually before Christmas. When do you get your tree and when do you decorate it and how does that um, involve the children? Usually we have natural trees and sometimes we pick them very, very short time ahead. So even on the Christmas uh, day, we go to the forest and pick them. So the papas, they need to keep the smaller children busy like they go out, they do skiing or skating or snowman or playing games, whatever. And then the mama prepares the tree and the presents. And the living room is closed and they will come at about 5 to 6 o'clock p.m. The Christmas bell rings and everybody may enter then the living room. Of course, this is done with the smaller kids. When they are a little bit older, they join uh, decorating the Christmas tree. Who actually, in the children's mind, who brings the presents? Christkind. Christkind is the birth of God, it's Jesus. And so we never have had any Weihnachtsmann, Santa Claus. This is not uh, something from our religion. Weihnachtsmann is uh, actually a newer expression. I think... um, Our equivalent would be Santa Claus? Yes. But I think it's mainly used for business reasons. So even the little children, they think that Jesus is bringing the presents to them and putting them under the tree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Describe for me, Gabby, in the Tyrol, in Western Austria, uh, how you deal with the big family meal and when you go to Mass and how the Mass and the family all comes together. Usually the meal on the 24th is quite simple because there are uh, a lot of preparations to make it really up to the, to the event, to the birth of Jesus. 
the meal is quite uh, simple, like a sausage and a potato salad or a fish, but not very fancy. And the service where we go to is at midnight. We call it the Christmette. And it will start at uh, 11.30 with already Christmas songs in the church. And then the main service, which is very familiar, but uh, as well festive, starting at midnight. Afterwards, everybody wishes Frohe Weihnachten in front of the church, which is a very nice custom, especially when it's snowing, so it's like in a fairy tale. So after the Mass, everybody is uh, socializing in front of the church, wishing each other Merry Christmas, Frohe Weihnachten. Yeah, and then we go to the illuminated cemetery. What kind of lights and why? Oh, this is to give the wishes and the merry Frohe Weihnachten to the dead people as well. So there's candles in your graveyards? Candles, yes, a lot of candles. After the Christmas bell rang, you go to the living room, then you have some Christmas songs. Then you have the Evangelium. This is the history of the birth of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So you read the Gospel. You read the Evangelium. Afterwards, you have, uh, again, some uh, Christmas songs. Then you give the Christmas wishings. And then a very exciting point, you can open the presents. Wow. And do you have, then, a big Christmas feast uh, on Christmas Day? On the 25th. Sometimes you start with a very long breakfast because you come back quite late from the church. Then you go to the sons and daughters or they come to the house. And then uh, probably uh, have an early evening meal or a later evening meal. But the whole day will be uh, time to spend and to see the family and enjoy each other. Gabby, can you uh, share with us in the United States what your wishes are for the new year? I wish first peace for everybody. Frohe Weihnachten. And then, of course, everybody wants to be healthy, join family, and be happy, and, of course, have all the blessings of God. That's beautiful. And once again, in, uh, in your language, how do you say Merry Christmas? Frohe Weihnachten. Frohe Weihnachten. Thank you very much, Gabby, and Merry Thank Christmas. You. Frohe Weihnachten from Austria. Rick, to you and to everybody. Bye now. Bye-bye. Travel with Rick Steves is produced by Tim Tatton, Sarah McCormick, and Isaac Kaplan-Wolner at Rick Steves Europe in Edmonds, Washington. You can listen again in the radio section of ricksteves.com. Station promotions are by Sheila Gerzoff. Our website is managed by Andrew Wakeling and Dana Bublitz. And our theme music is by Jerry Frank. Happy Christmas from your friends at Travel with Rick Steves.